Thanks for praying. Please keep praying. We'll keep you posted um, as this is just something that's happening in our family. And so uh, you guys can please keep praying for that as well and we'll let you know. Um, That being said, today, here's the focus. The focus is on something that we call God stories. Now, this is something that starts off every one of our staff meetings uh, here locally at Redemption Church Flagstaff. It's something that that is a part of every uh, corporate all pastors meeting, corporate all staff meeting that we do across Redemption. We take usually 30 minutes. Sometimes it goes longer. Sometimes shorter, depending on what God's doing. But we just go around the room and we just share, God, this is this is what He's doing, church. Uh, and we just encourage and exhort each other with the movement and the work of God amongst the people of God. And so today we're going to do a version of that. We're not going to make just random people stand up. We're not doing open mic. We don't trust you that much. Uh, but uh, but we are just going to share some stories that have happened this last year and what that looks like and what that means and how that moves us to continue to be a faithful presence here in the city of Flagstaff. I want to share some scriptures with you guys um, that are from kind of Old and New Testament that remind us consistently that this should be a practice of the church, like we should be in the business of telling of the work of God. And so let's start with Psalm 66, 16. It says this, come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. Okay. Psalm 71, 15 through 18 says, My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come, I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all of those who come. Luke 8, 39, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. And then 1 John 1, verse 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we will proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And these are just four, right? The Bible is consistently telling the people of God, and tell the stories of what God's doing. Let the world know, might it exhort the church and the people of God. In fact, the entire Bible is one giant story, and it's God. God's story. That from Genesis to Revelation and then into eternity, that what you read when you open the Bible is God's testimony to the world that we might know him, love him, serve him, be, experience the joy that comes from that, and bless the other. And so this is all God's stuff that we'll talk about today. That every little thing that we talk about is, is really about this person, Jesus, that we worship and love and desire to make much of. Earlier this week, um, I was hanging with this little guy here, Finley. Hey, buddy. And uh, I asked Finley, I said, hey, man, like, what was your favorite thing from all of this year? Like, in the last 12 months, like, what's your favorite thing? And he just kind of sat there for a minute, and he just thought about it. I think he was thinking about, or he was thinking about his Christmas presents. I'm not sure. Um, But he says, Jamesy. 
was his favorite thing. And Jamesy's his little brother, which is standing next to him. He says that Jamesy was his favorite thing. I said, well, why was Jamesy your favorite thing? And so what he did is he began to retell and recount all of these stories that he could remember, which were minimal. But he had just said, oh, well, when Jamesy did this, and when Jamesy did this. And, and as he did it, you just kind of saw this joy begin to overtake him. And he started saying, I love Jamesy. I love Jamesy. And it was super cute. And here's what happened. As he told the story, his heart grew in its affection for a person. It grew in a desire to serve and to know and to love and to be around as much as he can his little brother, even when his little brother is doing little brother things, right? Like taking one of the toys and beating Finley with it, right? Because like, he doesn't know. But in the midst of it all, as he told this stuff, his, his heart grew. And he said, man, I, what is the best thing this year? And it's Jamesy. Now, we might be thinking, well, that's idolatry, Finley. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, what does that mean for us? Like, if I were to ask most of us adults, at least in the room, hey, what was the best thing of, of 2018 for you? Now, I think, like, we would probably tell some stuff that was good that happened. Maybe you got a promotion or you got a new job. Uh, maybe you, you just really loved the Christmas gift you just received. Maybe, maybe you had a kid this year. Like whatever it may be, like you would begin to tell these stories. And, and none of that is wrong. That's all stuff that should be celebrated in gratitude. But, but I'm just asking, where do we see the source of those things? Like, do, do we get to the end of the year when we have a moment to reflect and say, you know what, ultimately at the end of the day, I want my heart to be most thankful for, I want to be most affected by Jesus, because that is kind of tied to our identity. As, as sons and, and, and daughters of God, like, what is the best thing that happened to us in 2018? And this is definitive. Like, I'll just give you your answer. It's Jesus, like he's the best thing that happened and continues to happen to us every single day because he is engaged with his children. He is engaged with this world and he doesn't have to be. It's because of his love for us. What's the best thing that happened last year? Jesus. And so again, these stories, my hope is as we share some of these stories, as we tell of what Jesus has done, that our hearts would stir in affection. In fact, I think it does a handful of things. I think five different things, maybe four or five, whatever, uh, different things that happen when we begin to consistently tell God's stories to one another, in our homes, to husband and wife, to our children, and back and forth, and so on and so forth. I think the first one is, it makes us aware that God is at work all the time, Okay? Like, like God's stories make us aware that God's always doing something. Like, like he, he doesn't take a break or a night off. In fact, John Piper, uh, he has this, this really short article, and I encourage you to read it. It's called The Theology of Sleep. And in it, he talks about how the sovereign God of the universe, when he was thinking up humanity and thinking up creation and thinking up earth and life, you know what he decided to say was, I'm going to make you fall asleep for a third of it. Right, like if God was all about your and my productivity, surely then he wouldn't have said, hey, what you need is about eight hours of sleep. Now, how many of us actually get eight hours? That's a different story, right? But the desire is, hey, for a third of your life, I'm gonna turn you into a lump of clay that's just gonna lay there and accomplish nothing other than to repair you. No, he didn't have to do that, Right? Like, if God was making the body, he surely could have just made it where we were just invincible, nothing ever broke down, we always looked as good as we did when we were 25. Like, all of that stuff could have happened. But no, he said, you know, I'm going to make these bodies to break down 
and decompose. And maybe some of that, right, we're going to say, well, that was probably the fall. The fall probably had a pretty good, <laughs> pretty good piece of playing into the role of the breakdown of the human body. But we wonder, like, God, why did you create sleep? And I think it's because he wanted us to know, I'm doing all the work all the time, so you don't have to. Like, hear me, God is at work all the time. You don't have to be. His mission and this world is not contingent upon your productivity. It's just not, right? This should be a liberating and freeing thing for you. We have a statement for our staff here at the church that says, Christ died for the church. You don't have to, right? Like, like he did it, right? You, you don't need to sacrifice your life and your family and all this stuff on the sake of the altar of ministry because God's got it covered. He is always at work all the time. And we remind ourselves of that as we tell ourselves the stories of what he's doing in and around us, okay? This, the second one, I think it cultivates gratitude, right? Like, like we begin, okay, God, this is, well, you did this and, and you did this. And man, like that's, that's amazing. Look, thank you for the work that you're doing. We can get very tunnel visioned in life and think, man, well, most of this year went well because I did a lot of good stuff, right? We, we can kind of say, well, well, I got here because, well, I made this great decision and I'm really good at this and, and this happened. And so this is, but no, no, when we begin to expand our lens as the gospel allows us to, we see, no, it's, it's ultimately God. It's, it's the spirit of God. It's, it's Jesus that is, uh, Colossians 1 says, holding the whole world together. That the fact that we even gather this morning and can breathe and have life is because Jesus, the sovereign ruler and king of this world, holds it together that all things were made through him, for him, and by him. So our hearts become grateful. And the Bible is replete with a desire for the gratefulness for the people of God. Now, my wife, um, here's the other side to telling the stories in regards to gratitude. Because it's not just gratitude, but it's also love. So I won't get into the details because she'd be embarrassed about it, but my wife accomplished something very significant a couple days ago, and we finally got news that she did it. And it started four years ago. She said, this is what I want to do. I'm going for it. I'm going back to school, all this stuff. And two days ago, we find out that she achieved her goal, right? And so I, I posted this thing on Facebook, right, just to say, hey, proud of you and all this kind of stuff. And she did this, this, and this, and it's amazing. Now, now, hear me, I am grateful for the work she's done, but here's what it does for my own heart and my own soul and my own mind. I love her deeper because I shared that, right? Be because I took time to intentionally reflect on the amazing things that my wife has accomplished over the last four years. And you know what it did? It cultivated my affection for her, right? It didn't just hopefully make her feel good or in our sermon, like, give her glory, if you will. But my own heart was stirred like, oh my gosh, like, she's done all of these things over four years and accomplished this great thing while raising our kids, having the kids, doing all things, dealing with my crazy schedule, my craziness. I'm always talking. She hates that. I mean, just like all of the stuff she's had to work through. And so I write this thing, and what I do is as I'm writing, I'm like, oh, man, I feel my affection grow for her. So why do we tell God stories? To cultivate not just thanksgiving for what he's done, but to cultivate our affection for him. So we say, God, I'm not just thankful, but I love you. I, I, I love my heart desires more of you. Okay? The third one, it raises an expectancy of God's activity and faithfulness. So as we tell these stories, right, I think oftentimes the way we pray, the way we think of God is somewhat reluctantly when we forget that God loves you and loves this world and our city and our culture and everything far more than we do. 
That's a good thing. That we can be expectant that the God of the universe desires to continue his mission and his plan in the world to redeem and restore the whole thing. And so we can sit back, we can pray, and we can expect him to show up and do things. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be hopeless. But no, we can rather say, God, no, I expect you to do that. It's a byproduct of telling God's stories. The next one, it inspires us to live love. That the more we begin to share these stories where we see God moving in and through his people. Because that's been a significant part of it, right, since the beginning. When God wanted to create this world, have it cultivated, have it made, have it blossom into this beautiful thing. What did he do? He created people. And he gave them a mission. He said, go. Have dominion over the birds in the heavens, right? Over the fish in the sea and over all the land, over all the things that creep along the land, have dominion and cultivate and care for this world, that it would blossom into something and flourish into something beautiful. So from the very beginning, you get into uh, Genesis chapter 12, where he calls Abraham and calls Israel to be his people, that would be blessed to be a blessing, and then he calls together his church, that we would go and be a blessing to the world because we have the spirit of God and the gospel. And so from the very beginning, God has been saying, no, no, I want to show myself to the world. I want to present myself to the world and I'm going to use people to do it. And so as we tell God's stories, we say, man, that, that's beautiful. I want to live into that. I, I, I want my life to be about those same ideals. And values. I mean, we, we get certain things right, that, our, that our hearts are already wired for, that God's already crafted and made in us, and then we hear the story, and it stirs our affection, not just for him, but for the things of him and the work of him. So then we step into that work and say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be part of this. Okay? And then the last one, it makes the invisible God visible to a world that does not know him. We tell God's stories because the world needs to know that God's working, that God is for us, that God is on mission, that God is on move, and that he's restoring the world unto a Revelation 21 and 22 reality where every tear will be wiped away and he will make all things new. So church, we, we tell these stories as so that the world would know God is moving and he's real and he's active and he's doing work in lives and in places that maybe we don't often see. And so we're going to talk in just a little bit about, well, what does that look like for us to do this well? But I want to share some of those stories. What's up, dude? And uh, so I'm going to have a few different people come up. Some of the people that we, we asked to share stories were like, hey, no, you do it, uh, which is great. And then some other people wanted to come up and read it because uh, they love the spotlight. And so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. So Kaylee Jensen, uh, if you want to come on up here to that introduction, we guys welcome Kaylee uh, up to the stage here. I'm sure you love that. Just jump it. Just go and jump. No, it's good. Um, Kaylee, if you don't know, is uh, on staff with us. She's the director of our foster care and adoption ministry. And um, do we have a mic? Yeah. And also works with Aunt. It's <laughs> awesome. We actually planned that. They're like trick candles. We did that. Um, and she also uh, serves alongside Andy doing uh, community and global initiatives and also runs uh, our Sunday services. And so if anything's going good at the church, it's probably because Kaylee's doing it. So Kaylee, why don't you go ahead and share your story? So I texted Vince yesterday and said I'm going to be a blubbering mess and like gifts of like crying cats. <laughs> um, so I'm going to try really hard it's to gifs, get through this. GIFs, actually. Oh, yeah. It's mm -hmm. GIFs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's all right. Okay, um, so bear with me. 
It's hard to be short-winded when thinking through all the Lord has done this year. It's been a sweet gift for my heart to process all. <laughs> His goodness woven throughout these months in the exciting celebrations and in the whispered prayers. Here are a few that linger in my soul. I thought I'd at least get through the second paragraph. <laughs> Um, seeing families run and play together in the fall leaves while the sun drops low in the sky. Photographers catching the bright beauty of togetherness and the meaning of family when skin tones or blood types don't match, but heartbeats do. Driving on rainy night to deliver a warm coat to a teenager whose whole life has been turned upside down. Praying for the words to comfort and share his deep love that she's seen and wanted. The sweet laughter of small kids and college students engaging in silly games to bring life to the joy he promises, the promise of rainbows after the storm. Little heads falling asleep on shoulders as soft songs are sung about how they are loved, ushering them into the sweet rest of growing bodies and tender hearts, just as he knows each beat of their hearts. The moment my breath catches as a little girl looks at me with awe, that a clean hairbrush is hers alone to use after a warm shower, watching her shoulders lower, anxiety shed, and excitement take over, as she relaxes into the feeling of being safe as she sleeps. Belly laughter as kids get lifted by giraffes and families adventure together, delighting in the diversity that he has made and the uniqueness woven in each of us. Cheers and wet eyes dripping in courtrooms as the judge declares, as the judge clears her throat before declaring what we already knew, they are family. The gospel is dripping as love, confidence, and safety are not just spoken promises in a courtroom, but are being lived out in their homes. The soul-shifting conversations about how the message of the gospel cannot be ignored, that our response to his deep for, <laughs> sorry, that our response to his deep love for us is to deeply love in return, even when it hurts, even when it is inconvenient, and even when it holds unknowns. Each of these moments remind me of God's provision, of his faithfulness to enter into the spaces that feel hopeless and lonely. We are promised his presence regardless of our circumstances. These moments remind me that we aren't alone, that declaring his faithfulness can be through exciting celebrations or whispered prayers. How beautiful that his grace is sufficient and he redemptly promises to restore our battered hearts so that we can sweetly sing of his goodness. For his glory and our joy, my prayers that my whispered pleas and laughing celebrations will continue to declare his faithfulness into 2019. Nice. Good job. You did good, girl. Here, I'll take it. This way we don't have a dropping situation. Um, Kaylee has done a phenomenal job, hear me, following God into this ministry and following God into the work uh, that he had prepared beforehand that the people of God would walk in those things. Her faithfulness to what God is doing in our city in this space, caring for foster and adoptive kids, kinship families, uh, the supporting families around them has been nothing short of miraculous, empowered by the Spirit of God. Uh, and you guys have all been part of that. But I want us to always know that any good work or any good story or any good praise that would come by way of this ministry is all directed to him and his work of how it was him who called the church to this. This was not a conjuring up of our idea. This is a mandate in Scripture from James 1.27 that pure and undefiled religion is this, that we would care for orphans and widows in their distress. Like, this is God's work, and we get to be part of it. If you guys were curious about the giraffe thing, we deliver a live giraffe to every kid. Uh, 
Kidding. We took the kids out of Africa this year. I think we had just under 400 kids from Coconino and Yavapai County come out to out of Africa and just put on a free event for them and their families to just have a day away to celebrate in a place where honestly they don't often or probably will ever get to go. And so, uh, big thanks to all of the partners that came and were involved with that as well. And so that was uh, that was Kaylee and, and the work that's happening there. I'm going to share a story um, from the McCrackens, and uh, a lot of you guys know the McCrackens. They're just a rock star family and great friends and people of ours. There's sweet little Gia over there just throwing her hands up. What up? And um, they've just been near and dear to our hearts for years now. Uh, they adopted little baby Gia just over, I think, three years ago, three, four years ago. And it was around this same time, about, I think it was four years ago, we began to, to get to know them a little bit. And then you guys, we do that Advent offering every year, as you know, we're still, and we'll be doing that again towards the end of this service. So, you know, get your money ready. Um, but we gave a, a chunk of the money that you guys raised four years ago to the McCrackens to help aid in their adoption process of this amazing, amazing girl, Gia, that if you don't know her, like you just, like she's infectious with like her smile and her joy and she's such a sweet girl. And so this story comes now um, just recently in light of what God had done before and their faithfulness in that and what God had called them to and the work that he's orchestrating behind the scenes that we could have never thought of, but he's done. So let me read the story. Um, it says this, before we even knew about Jane, and you guys will, will learn Jane in just a moment, okay? Before we ever knew about Jane, Chris and I, this is Chris and Cassandra, were having a heart-to-heart conversation with my parents about the possibility of another adoption. Maybe it was because three-year-old Gia, Giovanna, had been asking about a baby brother for Christmas. We didn't necessarily want to raise Gia as an only child, but we didn't know how we would build our family. We wanted Gia to have a co-walker in life, someone she would grow up with and relate to. At the end of that conversation, my mom reminded us just to give it over to God since he does have a plan for us. Three days later, Jane called out of the blue. She asked us to adopt her baby, a boy, a baby brother, due in April. Now to back up a bit, Jane is best friends and has been best friends with Gia's mother since childhood. The two friends thought it would be wonderful if their babies were raised together as siblings in the same family. And when Jane talked to the two of us, she said it was the first time she felt any peace during the entire pregnancy. Now, I'm going to insert some of the stuff that that they've just shared with me just real briefly. That there was just an unplanned pregnancy here, and what are we going to do? And so conversations started between this new mom-to-be and... Gia's birth mom, and, and they began having conversation. It was Gia's birth mom that began to just say, gosh, Chris and Cassandra have been such a tremendous blessing and gift. What they've done for Gia, what they've done for this world, like, you should consider this as opposed to a different alternative. And so, just like Gia, the baby will be born in Oklahoma. They will show practically the same due date four years apart, and will have a similar cultural background. In just a few weeks, we'd seen an amazing demonstration of God's love and grace. For example, we began to worry about our expired home study, which is a cost of $1,200, and Cassandra received an unexpected work bonus of exactly $1,200 the very next day. Additionally, Gia's birth mom is more in the picture now than ever. We love to see what God is doing in her life as she guides and counsels her friend through this adoption. Chris and I went through seven years of infertility and honestly struggled with why God had us on, a, on that difficult journey. 
We had no idea what a beautiful and healing story he was unfolding. Not only for us, but for Gia's birth mom and for Jane. The only emotion we have now as we look back on those times is gratitude. So crazy grateful that God decided to grow our family in this way, and he's with us every step of the way. I mean, like, like this, this is not stuff you just, just think of. Like, and here's the thing. God knew four years ago when he was going to bring baby Gia into their life that four years later that this woman's best friend was going to get pregnant unplanned and not know what to do with the baby, potentially turn to alternatives that we all know would grieve God and grieve our own hearts. And instead, they would have a conversation and look back upon the last four years and say, here's a beautiful option, and it's the people of God. God, you're so faithful. God, let us be grateful. God, let us just see what you're doing and fall in deeper love for you and respond to the call of your mission in the world. The next one is a story from Johnny and Danae Campbell, who you guys know, I think, pretty well. At least you know Johnny. He's the worship director here at Redemption. And so would you guys please welcome them up as they bring their two... Are you bringing both or just one? Are you bring both? What? Neither. You're bringing neither kid. We're leaving the kids behind. Okay, so Johnny and Danae, welcome them to the stage, please. <laughs> I'm holding the mic as to stave off any awkwardness for you. Good. He's doing good. There you go. Right there. All right. If right you don't here. have it memorized. Yeah. <clears throat> so... Um... We're actually here just to uh, talk about something that many of you are aware of. We, uh, so we adopted a little baby boy six months ago and uh, then had a biological baby three months later. So <laughs> As you do. We haven't slept in six months, um, but we uh, wanted to reflect on um, the story and let you guys know a little bit of the background um, that led us to the adoption and just... Uh, through that time period. So Danae has written down um, a more eloquent version. Than <laughs> so. And I did ask Vince to read it himself, but he refused. So <laughs> I did not volunteer. <laughs> um, when his tiny palm is against my chest and his long lashes reach across his cheek, I still am in complete awe that this little man is whole, well, healthy, and here. When we had heard that this baby was being exposed to drugs, we thought, could we really do it? Could we raise a child exposed to cocaine, heroin, alcohol, and meth? Could we support this child's needs while expecting our other baby due three months later? Honestly, it wasn't truly a question because there was always a resounding yes. He was already ours. By God's divine sovereignty, this family member had not become pregnant through a decade of drug abuse until three months before we found out we were. So our fight for his life began. It was multiple phone calls a day with birth mom, social workers and drug rehabilitation centers and doctors trying to get her stable, fed and drug free. It was prayer chains across the country. It was texting people in this church with every update, every worry, every anguish as our child, our baby was being hurt. We were utterly helpless and the birth mom was in and out of receiving treatment and could leave voluntarily when she pleased. We would be on the phone begging her not to go back to her vices to give him a chance. 
and we were on our knees asking Jesus for protection, for miraculous intervention each night. But the intervention never came as we expected. She continued to go on drunk bitches back and forth. She was three centimeters dilated at 22 weeks. But we prayed for God's goodness because he gave us a vision that Judah had a redemptive story, and this wasn't it. After a many-week binge, Judah was born at 37 weeks, and I still remember receiving his picture. Andy Zyman had just pulled in the driveway to bring his food before we started driving through the night. And he looked distressed, but he was perfect with every part, and he was so, so tiny at five pounds. We packed and drove through the night and arrived at 5 a.m., and the doctor told us that they're waiting for withdrawal symptoms because mom tested positive for three drugs and alcohol before the week of his birth. We were ready for him to be in the NICU for weeks to months. We had done months of research, spoken to pediatricians. We were prepared for the worst, but as we held our little son, and as I was seven months pregnant, I knew God was present. He brought us so far already because little Judah was alive and God would provide a way for his rescue. And he did. Judah didn't have one withdrawal symptom. He didn't test positive for any drugs. His system was clean and the doctors were astonished and mystified. He was and is healthy. Well, he has a little cold right now, but <laughs> he's healthy. <laughs> the name Judah is derived from the Hebrew verb yada, meaning to praise. And that's what we will do. We will praise Jesus for the rest of our lives that Judah was rescued. He's a reminder that Jesus is a healer and a protector, a reminder that we praise a God that is in the midst of our suffering because <coughs> Judah is living evidence of how God is the redeemer of our story. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, man, I swear, if we just if we keep going, like it's just gonna get awkward up here. I tell you. Um, now, <laughs> I want you to know, God does also work outside the world of adoption. Uh, <laughs> it was when we started, kind of just saying, hey, like, what are some stories that has been happening recently? <laughs> like, these are just a few, and and they all just kind of were in this vein unintentionally. When I, that wasn't like, hey, this is the only thing that God cares about. Um, but I, th- but I think it's also telling that there's just this, this heart for the vulnerable. And, and there's not much, there's nothing more vulnerable than, than, than a baby, right? It, it can do nothing, okay? And so um, I love that those stories continue to roll out. And I want to share a few others uh, as well, just uh, stuff that's even happening uh, both locally and, and at the, what we call Big R, which is, uh, if you're not familiar, Redemption Church, we're one church, but we have nine congregations across the state of Arizona. And so I just want to share a couple things that are happening both you know, down the valley and then globally as well and some partnerships we have that I think are just testimonies to the work of God. Um, about a month ago, we began to talk about uh, a very, like, very simple, non-argumentative, uh, non you know, debated thing in our culture, which was the migrant caravan uh, and, and what that meant for the church and what was our enge- engagement supposed to look like. And we were praying that the Lord would continue to open up opportunities for us to step into that space faithfully. Um, and, and so down at Redemption Church West Mesa, which is our bilingual congregation in West Mesa, um, about a month ago, they received a phone call from ICE, uh, if you're unfamiliar with, uh, which is Immigration 
control and, or something like that. I, I, anybody? What it stands for? I just hear ICE. What? That's right, Customs Enforcement. Yeah, so we got a call from ICE at Redemption Church, and they said, hey, we have 100 asylum seekers. We don't know where to put them. Can you take them? And so we said yes. Uh, and then other churches started saying yes. And over the last month, a collection of churches down in the valley, uh, of which Redemption West Mesa and other now Redemption congregations are heavily involved, have now uh, processed and helped see through and, and provide transportation and housing or whatever the needs were to over 5,000 asylum seekers through the city of Phoenix. And we praise God for that work because we prayed and asked God, would you allow us to be part of the solution, uh, be part of caring for people well? Uh, and so then the government called the church, which is that not the way things are supposed to work? That when there are problems in our world, that the government would look to the church and not other ways around, that we would be the beacon of hope and a place of refuge for all those who are hurting. And our hope is that that work would continue through different things that continue to grow in partnership with the state of Arizona, uh, with ICE, and with other organizations down the valley. So we celebrate that work. Um, there's a story here that's, that's fascinating to me, and I just had to share it. It's actually uh, started a little over a year and a half ago, but it's a story that I only heard recently, and so I just want to encourage you guys with it because it is an ongoing work that we continue to be part of. But if you don't know, Redemption Church, we are pretty heavily involved on a financial and a training sense with church planning in Brazil. Okay, uh, and so essentially what happened is a couple years ago, uh, we got really, uh, or let's see, five years ago we started a seminary, one of the head professors of our seminary that's in partnership with other churches in the valley um, was contacted to go speak at this church planning network down in Brazil. Uh, this church planning network has grown to become the, one of the fastest and largest growing uh, church planning networks in the world, uh, and so Professor Goheen would go down there, do trainings and stuff for the people. Now, because of his partnership with Redemption Church, we began to discuss, well, what does that mean? Can redemption get involved? Is there any avenues that we should be engaged in? And so we began to have that discussion. We began to pray about that. Tyler Johnson, who's the lead pastor of Redemption Church Flagstaff, or sorry, of Redemption Church as a whole across the state, was praying about it, and we were unsure. We were already involved in a significant amount of work around the world. Could we take on another project, at least at the level that we wanted to, which is we want to be significantly involved. We don't want to just say, hey, we'll throw some money at this. We want to be involved. We want to help cultivate and, be something, and see something sustainable continue to happen. So all that said, we're not sure what to do. Tyler is driving in his car with, I think Braden probably would have been six or seven years old at the time, sitting in the back seat, and Braden, and I'm just paraphrasing the story, the way he tells it is far more beautiful and eloquent, but Braden says to his dad, Tyler, he says, Daddy, Tyler says, yes, he says, I, can I tell you about a dream I had last night? Now, I'm just going to tell you on the front end, Braden had zero idea of any desire of Redemption Church to partner with any church planning movement in Brazil. It was not on his radar, nothing he talked about. Braden says to Tyler, Daddy, I had a dream last night that our church was planting more churches in Brazil. And, and Tyler said, what? <laughs> he said, yeah, the, that like you were there and, and, uh, and, my, and Profe Miss, no, Mr. Mike was there and, uh, and you guys were helping plant and start more churches like, like we do. You know, he goes, Dad, you know how we try and start new churches in Arizona? We were doing that in Brazil. And Tyler said, what? And... And this went on back and forth until, right, Tyler freaking out calls 
Professor Goheen says, you're not going to believe what Braden just said. Tells him the story. They get back to his house, and Tyler shows him pictures of the church planning movement in Brazil. Little Braden, six or seven years old, points to the head of that movement on a picture of a ton of different men and women and says, that's the guy that was in my dream. And so we said, maybe we should be involved. (laughs) And that's how we got involved with church planning in Brazil. Because God, in his divine sovereignty, knew, like, hey, we're not sure. God, would you be so gracious to us? Would you show your love for this church in Brazil and this church planning movement? And would you do it through a supernatural and crazy means? And listen, those don't happen every day. It's not like we just, I can just roll those out, but they happen. And they're meant to show us a God who cares. And they're meant to instill gratitude and joy and mission amongst his people that God is heavily and intimately involved with the work that's happening. He's always working to restore and redeem the world. And you guys are part of that. You might not even know, but if you give here, you're supporting church planners in Brazil. Good job, okay? Like this is just, this is part of the ethos of, of what we try and do here. Um, let me share, <coughs> I'm gonna share this last, uh, this last thing and, and I think we have enough time to do it. Um, do we have enough time to do it? Uh, it's, it's our work in, in Guatemala. And you guys have seen videos that, that we've, we've shown before. Um, I, w- I want to show this one. I do. I think we're going to show this video. So if we can get the lights off. The reason why I definitely want to show it is the biggest thing that, that made us fall in love with the work that's happening with Champions in Action Guatemala is that they're desiring to see and invest in youth, right, ages 9 to 14, 9 to 16, kind of in that gap, that then they would grow up and, and begin to lead their own people. Uh, and so what, uh, what Champions in Action done, they've done a couple of videos called Mentees to Mentors, where these kids who showed up at camp, who kind of came not knowing Jesus, not knowing much, um, have been discipled within the organization, discipled within the local church, and are returning to the camps to mentor kids from their own neighborhoods, which we've heard have their own uh, brokenness and pain associated. And so this is uh, the, the mentors to, or Mentees to Mentors video for the boys, and so we'll watch that. It's about five minutes minutes, so enjoy. Ya sea de su área o de la comunidad en la que ellos viven, 
y tal vez posiblemente en un futuro que ellos puedan volver a un campamento, pero ya como unos mentores. Hola, mi nombre es Anderson Quintanilla, yo soy mentor de Ciudad que está de las tres. Yo me involucré porque yo fui a una liga a jugar, jugué con un mentor, eh, fue en el año 2013, yo llegué. Nice. All right. The rest of it's just as good. And uh, it just tells Anderson similar story to what we already heard. That's okay. Um, we'll send it out. We'll probably post it. You can watch the rest. The internet in this, in this room is absolutely abysmal and terrible. So uh, you guys get the point. So uh, what we're really excited about is that what we're constantly seeing within the ministry of which uh, now Redemption is a significant partner in the work that's happening in Guatemala with Champions in Action. Um, we have board members that are part of uh, the national board of the organization. We now are Redemption Church, Redemption Tucson, Redemption Flagstaff, Redemption Tempe are fully staffing uh, at least one of their camps. And this is a big deal because without the volunteers from the United States to be able to go and staff these camps and work these camps, they can't invite the 100 to 120 kids that get to come to the camps, that get to enter into this process of being mentored, being cared for, being brought into the church, shared the gospel, and then being reinvested back into their communities. And so uh, a big thanks to the church, but you guys need to know, like, this was not something that, like, we really knew or came up with. I was up at 2 a.m. You guys might have heard the story. I was up at 2 a.m. like four years ago. I couldn't sleep, and so I Googled soccer missions, and then this popped up, and that's how we got involved. Like, it's, it's, it's that spiritual, right? Um, <laughs> And four years later, here's what the most amazing, the really God piece to it is prior to us showing up, National Community Church was about a 15,000 person church in the Washington, D.C. area. They were like the primary partner and were super involved. And there was this continued desire to launch another Champions in Action project in D.C. working with refugee kids that live in the D.C. area. Like there were already partnerships going on, but they couldn't do it because they were already giving so much resource and time and money and people to the organization in Guatemala enter into the perfect timing of God where Redemption Flagstaff randomly did a Google search, partnered up, and now we provide between the three churches around 70 of their volunteers. It takes 50 to staff a camp. And so we see the providence of God so that this way as we moved in the NCC church could move out and engage with the local population in D.C., and now we go every year to be able to see this work continue to happen over and over and over. See, God is at work, listen, not just in your life, not just in the lives of the people you sit in the row with, not just the people in our church, not just the stuff that's going on in our state, that God is moving everywhere all the time, around the world, locally, globally, everything in between. And it is important for the church to tell these stories. It's important that when you as families sit down at dinner, that you start asking your kids about what they're seeing God do in their lives. Husbands, wives, it's important you ask each other, what do you see God doing in your life right now? Friends, roommates, I know you college students, there's like nine of you in a two-bedroom, okay? Start asking some intentional questions. What are we seeing God do? What are the stories that we can share, that we can encourage our souls to go back out there and step into the work that he's called the church to? What are the things and stories that we can share that can cultivate our affection for Christ and the gospel? And are we taking time to talk about those things? Are we taking time to herald God for his glory, for our joy, and for the sake of the world? 
And so what I want to do is I'm going to pray. We often take a, a time of reflection for just a minute or two. I'm going to take a bit of a longer one for about four or five minutes. I just want you to sit and reflect on the work of God and hear me. I again know I want to reiterate that some of this year you're like, gosh, I, I feel like God's been distant, and I understand that. Like I've walked in those seasons also. I've been in that space. We counsel and meet and spend time with a lot of people whose experience is that right now. And I'm going to ask and I'm going to be praying that the Spirit of God would show up even in this moment to show himself faithful to you and to raise up moments that would be coming to mind that would say, yes, this was Jesus. And this was Jesus. God, it it didn't feel like it. In fact, it felt like the exact opposite. But that was Jesus too. This is where he showed up. Like seven years ago or four or five years ago when the McCrackens were praying, God, why? We don't that God would begin to reveal even in the moments now, and this is where I am, this is what I'm doing, and we would be a people who tell the stories of God well. Let me pray, and then let's take that time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the end of year, (coughs) this intentional moment, God, that we can gather and we can reflect. God, and ultimately of all the stuff that's going on, we're reflecting on your work reflecting, God, on these amazing ways and then the subtle ways, the everyday ways, God, that you draw your people into mission. God, that you draw your people into mission because, Lord, you long to bless and bring joy and hope and peace to people. God, we know you're in the business and in the work, God, of restoring and redeeming this world. God, we pray that what you do over the next five minutes is, Holy Spirit, you remind the people of God of your work and of your love and of your engagement, that God, it would cultivate a joy in us. That God, we would respond in singing. God, we would respond in in, in generosity. We would respond in prayer. God, that we would be a people who look upon what you've done and celebrate and move others to celebration with us that we would be a faithful people in this world. God, we love and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.